Father, we thank you for your, we thank you for your servant heart, for the way that you have watched over us, for the way that you have ministered to us, for the way that you have taken care of our needs before we ever knew that we had needs, for the way in which you have cared for us during times of sickness, you have provided us with your comfort and your peace and your healing. You have been around our bedside. You have walked beside us in the cemetery. You have, you've been there when we've wondered how we can go on. When we wondered who there was to talk to. You were there to listen. And for all these things, Father, we have no words to describe our thanks. It is just another reminder of your grace and the way in which you care for us. It's our prayer that because we have experienced your grace, that others would experience your service through us. May we have your hands, may we have your feet, but Father, more than anything, may we have your heart so that we might share your grace with all those in our lives as you share it with us. So in the name of Jesus, we pray, amen. I said amen for those of you who went to sleep. Um, hey, this is a hard day. Let's be honest about it. Ladies, you had a retreat, which was wonderful, but we know what happens on retreats, right? I mean, the kids, you guys know. Do you ever sleep when you go on a retreat, guys? No, you never sleep, right? And you think that when you become adults that you, you know, you outgrow that. Ladies, you stayed up until the wee hours of the morning. And some pictures were put on Facebook. Now, I don't think you intended for some of those to show up on Facebook, but some of them are there. And we're glad that you were able to get away for the weekend and have a great, great trip. We've got others who have been involved in, in plays at school and have put in a lot of, of late nights, people who have been traveling. And, and then some of you, you know this Sunday to, uh, to be what it, what it is. Uh, this is the day that... Um, this is the day that you get your extra credit, right? I mean, some of you are here thinking that, that this is an extra credit Sunday because there's going to come a time and you're going to say, Lord, please tell me that coming on that spring forward Sunday gets me a little extra credit for things. Now, I've already talked to some of you who are here and you said you were even here early today and we can set up counseling for later to find out exactly what you're trying to make up for. I'm not exactly sure, but wow, for... This Sunday should count for something extra, right? I mean, you, you set your clocks up and, and you get up and you, you come and you come here to be a part. And man, we are glad that you are here. We really are. For all the times that, that you spend with us. If you're a guest traveling through, we appreciate you being here. If this is your, your first time at, at East Brainerd, we're glad that you found us. 
And remember that when you leave today, everybody's going to be given uh, one of these. It's an invite card that you can give out to someone and encourage them to come and be a part of one of our times together. Maybe you want to use this as an invite for Easter coming up in just a few weeks. As was mentioned, it's got our service times on the back, a lot of different social media information. And there's also our address, which is a good thing. You see, every few years, I have to just pull back the curtain and be honest. Some of you have heard this story before, but uh, for the Van Sinis family, we, I just need to be honest with you guys. Um, I haven't always known where our church is located. Um, I was a couple of weeks uh, into the job here, and I had, I had spent five years at the Rossville Church of Christ, uh, not too far away. And I'd just been on the job here for a few weeks when we had had this great service opportunity. It was called School Supply Day. And this was a time where we, we gathered up school supplies all during uh, the, the summer and then right before school was going to begin, we had this big day where we gave out school supplies. Thousands of children would come onto our campus. We fed hot dogs. There was all kinds of stuff that was going on. Crash test dummies were here of all things. And on this particular day, J103 was here as well, doing a live remote. And someone passed along that, hey, we've got a new preacher here. I said, well, we'd love to have him on the radio to talk about what's going on and about this great day. And so someone came and found me and told me to go over to the place where they were doing their live remote. And I went and I got all set up and sat down in the seat and began having a conversation. We went live and we were talking about the great things that were going on here and everybody needed to come and get school supplies. And I was talking about what a great thing it was to be a part of a congregation that had a, a servant heart. And man, I thought I'd nailed it. It was going great. Right up until the end. And that was when the radio host said, well, preacher, why don't you tell everybody where your church is located? Now, I've been on the job two weeks. I've been in Rossville for five years. I, I knew the address to the church in Rossville, but I didn't know the address here. And, and so I did the only thing that I, that I could. The first thing that came to mind was when he said, well, why don't you tell the church where you're located? I said, to tell you the truth, I have no idea. <laughs> I did, went out all over Chattanooga, yeah. I, I said, no idea, and, and to make it worse, I said, if you'll get off on the East Brainerd Road exit and drive until you see the Taco Bell. I mean, when you have to give directions based on the Taco Bell, really? I mean, is there somebody out there going, mama, he said it's right across from the Taco Bell, and I know which one that is. I, I mean, <laughs> is that really how, what people have in their phones, all the Taco Bells and but that's what I did. <laughs> and so then I received text messages from some kind souls here, a part of my new congregation, and um, giving me the address, and had people driving through the parking lot, rolling down their window, yelling, someone tell the preacher where he works. <sighs> Man. So we have postcards. <laughs> We have little handout cards for me <laughs> to be able to, to give out and for, and for you in case you forget 
where you are. And if you do, that's okay. You can just tell people, get off on the East Brainerd Road exit and <laughs> drive to Taco Bell and, and come and come and worship. You know, life's, life's messy. Life's messy. We don't always say the right things. We don't always remember the right things. And there are times where, let's just be honest, we don't always do the right things. And I think for that reason that it's important for us to understand that grace is the one thing the church has to offer the world, that it just can't get anywhere else. Because we live in a messy, graceless world. And and we live in a world where you don't often get second chances to make that first impression. And you don't get a second chance to to tell people necessarily about your company. You don't get a second chance to give your proposal, to give the update to the CEO. You don't get a second chance sometimes in the relationship that you have with your spouse or with, with your children or your parents. Let's be honest, sometimes you don't even get a second chance at church. But grace should be the one thing that the church has to offer that the world can't get anywhere else. As the world searches for another opportunity, as the world searches for a time to realize, you know what, maybe there is a second chance. Maybe I can go on. Maybe I can get back in the saddle. Maybe I can re-engage one more time. And so we've been walking through this whole year of study on the subject of grace. We've come this last couple of weeks to the idea of of just how messy that can get sometimes. And I want to continue that thought today just for a few minutes, and I'll try to have some participation opportunities here just for, for those of you that are struggling this morning. Hey, write this down on the front of your glory, praise, and honor. That'll help you stay awake. When grace is stressed in the church, people get blessed by the church. Say that out loud with me. When grace is stressed in the church, people get blessed by the church. Somebody says, preacher, why are you talking about grace so much? What's the big deal about about grace? You talk about grace and the world gets changed. You talk about grace and the church is different. You talk about grace and there is a transformation that begins to take place. There are blessings that flow out of a graceful conversation. And we're going to camp out in a book that's in the back of your Old Test or New Testament. It's a book called Titus. It's a letter, actually, that was written by the Apostle Paul. It takes up the front and back of one page in my Bible. And I encourage you to find it on my Bible. It's page 1092. I have no idea where it is in yours. All right, but it's going to be in the back. It's right before another book that you didn't know was there, but it is. It's called Philemon. And if you find Philemon, I guarantee you, you can find Titus. And here's what Paul writes to Titus about grace and about blessing. Titus chapter 2 and verse 11, for the grace of God has appeared that offers salvation to all people. And it teaches us to say no to ungodliness and worldly passions, and to live self-controlled, upright, and godly lives in this present age, while we wait for the blessed hope, the appearing, and the glory of our God and Savior, Jesus Christ, 
who gave himself for us to redeem us from all wickedness and to purify for himself. Now, this is important. Key in here. To purify for himself a people of his very own that are eager to do what is good. In fact, Paul uses a word that literally means always wanting. The idea that grace has been given so that you can be redeemed in order that you can always be wanting to do the things that are good. You see, here's how Scripture lays it out. Doing good is the expected response to good news. When you hear about the good news of Jesus, when you hear about the grace of God, the expected response is that you and that, that myself as well will be individuals who go about doing those things that are good. You know, a lot of times you read through the New Testament, you have studies on holiness, and the lessons focus on all the things that you should not be doing and the places that you should not be going the things you should not wear, the music you should not listen to, the things online you should not be watching, all the things that you shall not do. And I think as a result, a lot of Christians end up like a guy that Jesus talked to one day. Scripture calls him a rich young ruler. And he came to Jesus thinking that his faith was all ironed out because he didn't do a lot of things. He did not cross moral boundaries. And he came to Jesus in essence saying, you know, I don't do that and, and I don't do that and I, I don't do that either. And Jesus says, all right, then how about this? Why don't you go and sell everything that you have and give it to the poor? And Jesus found out that the young man, he didn't do that either. That wasn't what he was going to be about. But you know, it's not enough to not do what is wrong. You have got to be a blessing. And I really want our young people to hear this today. Jesus came filled with grace and truth. He was full of grace and truth. There was, there was no tension in that. There was the grace of God and there was also the truth of God. And the truth of God says, you know what, there are standards and there are expectations and there are desires that I have for you. And the grace of God says, I know you're not going to live up to those standards and expectations. I know you're not going to live up to that truth. But guess what? I'm going to continue to love you and I'm going to continue to care for you. And sometimes we focus, I know a lot with our young people, on all the ways that we want them to live up to truth. And the way that we want them to live up to the expectations of God and the things we don't want them to be involved in. But the discipleship is more than just the absence of badness. It is the presence of active goodness. To be a Christ follower, as I've told you in the past, is to be a do-gooder. Where you are actively blessing people in the name of Jesus. Listen to Galatians chapter 6 beginning in verse 9. Paul says, he says, church, don't get tired of doing what's good. Because at just the right time, we'll reap a harvest of blessing if we don't give up. Therefore, whenever we have the opportunity, we should do good to everyone, especially to those of the family of faith. Now, this was the message of Jesus. When Peter goes and talks to Cornelius in Acts chapter 10, he says, listen, you all know how God anointed Jesus of Nazareth with the Holy Spirit and with power and how he went around doing good. You see, you can't talk about Jesus' life and you can't say, well, he didn't go around doing that. Well, Jesus didn't go there and Jesus didn't do that. 
When you talk about Jesus' life, you talk about where he went and what he did and who he touched and who he talked to and how he healed. It was all the things that he was doing. And so the Apostle Paul again would write, this time to a group of Christians living in Ephesus and say, for it is by grace that you have been saved through faith. This is not from yourselves, it is the gift of God, not by work so that no one can boast. For we are God's workmanship, his handiwork, created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which God has prepared in advance for us to do. You see, in the Bible, there is not a tension between grace and works. The tension is between grace and merit. This idea that I can somehow do good things in order to be right with God. Paul has a huge problem with that, but he has no problem at all with expecting that your and my response to good news will be doing good. Now, I want you to focus in here in this last part on one particular passage. It's in, still in Titus, and it's in Titus chapter 3, and it's verse 14. It says, our people must learn to do some good. It says, our people must learn to devote themselves to doing what is good in order to provide for urgent needs and not to live unproductive lives. All right. Three things. You can write these down too. Doing good, according to Paul, must become a pursuit. Doing good must become a pursuit. Because doing good does not just happen naturally to us. You don't just come up out of the waters of baptism and automatically try to go and look for somebody to serve. It'd be great if it happened that way, but that's not how everything goes. We don't immediately become a selfless person. We have to continue daily looking at those ways in which we can become more and more like Jesus. But the problem is, for so, many, for so much time in our churches, Instead of teaching people how to be servants, I think we've taught people how to be consumers. We've, we've taught people how to come and, and get all their needs taken care of. We've taught people how to come and make demands. We've taught people how to come and just sit back and, and let others do things around them. It's the consumer culture that we live in. It's the world that we live in. It's as if church has all of a sudden become just like Amazon. And all you have to do is go on your phone and, and type in how you want to be served this Sunday or how you want to feel this week. And there'll be somebody that'll come and do it for you. Somebody that'll come and take care of, of all your needs. And yet, as you look through Scripture, what you see over and over again is this idea that those who follow in the footsteps of Christ must minister in the way of Christ. That those who say, I live for Jesus, must also serve in the name of Jesus. That you begin to realize, you know what? It is not about me. It's not about me at all. But it's about you, and it's about you, and it's about you, and it's about people that aren't even in this room, that are our neighbors, and that are co-workers, individuals that we see each and every day. It's about them. And because we have experienced the grace of God, it then becomes our pursuit to go and to serve, and to go and to share, and to go and to minister to others, because we see the need. And we're not sitting around hoping that someone will come around and take care of all of our wants. 
Instead, we're actively looking for the wants of others. Paul's conviction is that you can't be a growing Christian unless you're serving somebody. It's not enough to come to church and yet not live as the church. It doesn't matter how marked up your Bible is with all the notes or or how much money that you put in the collection basket. If you're not serving, then you are not growing. And so I just want you to think for a minute. A couple of weeks ago, I asked you to think about one, right? I asked you to think about that that one person that you were going to be in prayer for to go and to, to have an opportunity to share the good news with them. Have you been serving that one at all? Or have you just been hoping that something's going to happen where you all of a sudden have an opportunity to talk with them about Jesus? Have you been living as Jesus in their midst? Have you been going above and beyond in making sure that their needs are met and their wants are seen about even before they ask, all because Jesus lives through you and they're your one? And you say, Lord, I've been praying for this opportunity. I've been praying for this one to bring closer into your community of faith. And maybe you're sitting around going, I just don't know. I don't think that the opportunity is going to come. Perhaps what God is waiting on is for you to be active in their life. God's saying, I want, I'm ready. I'm ready to do some amazing things. But first, I need for you you to wash some feet. I need for you to buy a meal. I need you to carpool. I need for you to mow some grass. I need you to keep some kids. I need for you to stay up late. I need you to go the extra mile. I need doing good to become a a pursuit in your life. Here's the second thing. Oh, before that, there's a verse I want to remind you of. It's in Hebrews chapter 10. It's a verse that I heard a lot growing up talking about not forsaking the assembling of ourselves together. And I think I probably told you that I misunderstood that verse as a kid because I thought the verse was saying I needed to encourage people to come to church. That's not what it says. Look at it again. And let us consider how we may spur one another on towards love and good deeds. The Holman Christian Standard Bible translate this by saying that we should be concerned for one another. Not giving up meeting together as some are in the habit of doing, but encouraging one another. You see, I can pray at home and I can praise God in my car but I can't encourage you to do good unless I am with you. See, the time that we come together, it's not just to talk about the weather. It's not just to talk about the ball game. It's the time to ask one another, who are you serving? Can I serve you? What can I do for you today? So here's what I want you to do right now. Look, look at the person next to you and go ahead and tell them it's not about you. No, not not them. Don't say it's not about you. No, you're supposed to say it's not about me, all right? (laughs) Understand what I'm saying. Some of you are like, all right, yeah, I've been waiting on this the whole time. (laughs) I mean, some of you wives, you were quick to turn and look at the husband and go, it's not about you. No, you're, you're turning and saying it's not about me, okay? We can use you a lot of ways in our language, right? Hey, here's the second thing. Doing good must become a passion for us. He says, our people must learn to devote themselves. 
In Acts chapter 2, we're told the first followers of Christ, it says, devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching, to communion, to prayer, and fellowship. And here in Titus 3, it says, you know what? Our people need to learn to devote themselves to doing good. We need to devote ourselves to have a passion, an intensity, a consistency, and a desire. What motivates you when it comes to your acts of service? Is it a fear? Is it a guilt? Or is it grace? Do you live the way you live because of the God that you serve? It is a joy for you to serve, or is it? Or do you think it's just your job? Is meeting human needs a duty, or is it a delight? Because if it's a duty, it's just going to become an event, and you're going to say, well, when's our next service opportunity? When's this next ministry going to offer me a time to serve? That's not what we're trying to do. When we talk about this, it's not about saying, why weren't you at Snack Pack? Or, hey, we've got this great opportunity coming up for you to be involved in this women's ministry or to be involved in the prison ministry. Hey, those are great. And yes, we need you to be involved in different ministries going on here within our congregation. But more than that, God needs for you to be involved in the ministry of life where you are actively involved in the lives of others that you see who are outside of this place. And you have a passion for it. It's something that you get up for in the morning. It's something that fuels you at midday. It's what keeps you going at night. And when you go to bed, you can't wait to get up the next day because you know you have the opportunity to serve your family. You know you have your opportunity to serve your friends. You're going to have an opportunity to serve strangers. You're going to have the opportunity to serve those in which you work with. He says it's got to be a pursuit and it's got to be a passion. And then finally, it's got to be, it's got to have a purpose. Doing good has a purpose. He says, our people must learn to devote themselves to doing what is good so that they will not live unproductive lives. Don't live unproductive lives. A few years back, New York City was experiencing a huge demand for electricity and they had some generators that were prepared to come online if needed with the extra, extra amount of work that was going to have to be being done. And sure enough, the the demand exceeded what was going to be an output. The new generators kicked in. It caused a surge and everything in New York went black. All the airports went down. Flights were delayed for hours. But here's the thing. The city had prepared for such an event. They had technicians who had been hired specifically to work on the generators if the generators failed and all the power went out. But the problem was on the day when all that happened, they were at a conference learning what to do in case of emergency. Yeah, true story. And I wonder how many of our churches look like that. We're great at getting together and talking about what's wrong in society. We preach incredible lesson series about how that people need to turn and, and repent. But let's just be honest. There are still some of us who rarely leave the building and do anything about the things that we see going on around us. We'll fire off something on Facebook. We'll send off something on Twitter. But to actually get involved in the messy day-to-day -day lives of those who are around us. Paul says, this is what it means. This is what it means. We've got to learn to do good so that we will not live unproductive lives. The New Century Version says, so their lives will not be useless. 
I love this quote by Shane Claiborne, and it's talking about our young people. It's talking about those who are coming up in the faith. He says, I am convinced that if we lose kids to the culture of drugs and materialism, of violence and war, it's because we don't dare them, not because we don't entertain them. It's because we make the gospel too easy, not because we make it too difficult. Kids want to do something heroic with their lives, which is why they play video games and join the army. But what do they do with a church that teaches them to tiptoe through life so that they can arrive safely at death? A lot of things are being said negatively about the young generation, about those who are in their teens or in their 20s or even their 30s when it comes to their spiritual life. But here's one thing that's being seen. This younger generation is crying out saying, if you show me Jesus, I will serve alongside him. But don't invite me to a church that says that my primary role is to sit and be served. Because I won't come. Won't come. Do you hear what people are saying? Our Bibles might be marked with five different colors of notes, but if we're not actively involved in helping others, then we're living unproductive lives. Because in the Bible, the empty life is the life that is full of self, and there is no greater waste than being an unproductive human being. It goes against the very concept that God has for us. And so again, I'll read from Ephesians 2, this time for the message paraphrase. It says it's a gift from God from start to finish. We don't play a major role. If we did, we'd probably go around bragging that we've done the whole thing. No, we neither make nor save ourselves. God does both the making and the saving. He creates each of us by Christ Jesus to join him in the work he does and good work that he has gotten ready for us to do. Work that we had better be doing. You know, there's a lot of good things that are being done. And I told you last week that you don't have to be a Christian to go around and build houses for the poor. You don't have to be a Christian to go dig wells for those who are thirsty. You don't have to be a Christian to go and and feed individuals who are hungry. But here's something that's happening. For some reason, God's people who have been touched by grace have over the last few decades begun abandoning the marketplace and we've allowed those who do not know the grace of God to be out at the forefront saying there is a need and I'm going to meet it. See, I believe, I believe God raises up people of all stripes to make sure that compassion and that mercy and that healing are given out. But woe be to us if he has to use someone besides his children to serve the world that he loves. Who, if not those who have been touched by his grace, should understand what it means to get messy and serve. So you're going to be wearing your EB swag, as we call it, sometime this week. You're going to have on an EB hat. You're going to have on an EB shirt. 
you're going to be going out and, and giving out these EB cards. And somebody's going to ask you a question. And they're going to say, well, where is your church? And you could tell them the address. You could tell them it's across from Taco Bell. But I'd rather you say, you know, right now my church is in school teaching lessons to children. Right now my, my church is having lunch with a coworker who's struggling with his purity. Right now my church is in hospitals changing bedpans and my church is at home taking care of children. My church, my church is in a bank, my church is in a law office, my church is on the phone, my church is making deliveries. My church is all over the Chattanooga area. My church, is, my church is spread out all over this country. My church is spread out all over this world. But you know, three times a week, and sometimes more, we get together at 7745 East Brainerd Road to encourage each other to do good. Where's your church? It's wherever you go sharing God's grace. Let's go and share as we stand and sing.